Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Aaron Pym. And what I like to do here on the Bedpost Podcast is talk about sex and sexuality with a variety of lovely, fun, and sexy people. And, of course, we are still doing the pod henceforth, I mean, remotely. Uh, it's kind of working out great because I have access to people that I wouldn't usually have access to. So, who knows? Maybe even long in the future when COVID isn't a thing anymore, I will continue it this way. So this is somebody that is nowhere near me geographically, and that's quite exciting. They're recommended to me by a past guest who I'm absolutely in love with called Darren Infinity. So if you, it's not going to be a related episode, but I mean, since I'm bringing them up, please go back and listen to the Darren Infinity episode. I'd strongly recommend it. And uh, if you have listened to that one, and then you will absolutely love this one too because this everybody is kink and sexuality educator carter brule carter <laughs> welcome to the pod hi i'm so excited to be here um doing things remotely is definitely fun because we i don't think we would have met otherwise i don't know when i will be in canada exactly ever with <laughs> everything but you know (laughs) i know let's not talk about that yeah i'm like let me hard avoid that (laughs) i just need to know you're okay are you okay yes where you are okay good (laughs) that's all i need to know about covid Uh, but um yeah i'm i'm into it too uh you were saying like with your job you're doing a lot more remote kind of stuff me too it's all happening remotely is uh your work something that you find is kind of getting you through this time Um, so I am a therapist, so I like my work and also it can be pretty hard when like the world is in a stress ball and people are like, these things are coming up. I'm like, yeah, that's all really valid that you makes total sense that you're anxious and depressed. So that can make it hard sometimes. So it's not necessarily a super fun job, but definitely one that I um, am passionate about. And And I bring some of the skills uh, from being a therapist into... Uh, some of my teaching. Yeah, I can imagine like being a therapist and then also being like a kink facilitator and a kink and sex sexuality educator. That's like, they're so related. So, <laughs> so very related. That's like just amazing. Yeah. When I was like coming up, I was like, all right, I should like add some things to my class list. And I'm like, what kind of skills do I have? Like, and then I was like, oh yes, I have this degree that's just like trying to go off like light bulb and like why don't you write about like why don't you teach about the things that you're trained in you have all this experience in managing crisis and we certainly know plenty of kinksters who have gotten themselves into situations where they're like oh my gosh what do I do my partner is freaking out yeah so that's that's something I can add to my list yeah so today we specifically were like looking at some of the classes you're teaching i think i organized the the episode i did with darren in a similar way like what yeah. were, what are your favorite classes to teach and then we kind of just talked about those a bit to give people kind of an idea both of what you do but also you know obviously um a bit of an idea on the topic 
And I mean, yeah. they're free to take the class if they want more, but <laughs> we narrowed it down to a top three. Um, I'm very excited about these. So gender play is one. Yeah. Suffering. Just suffering is another one. I love it. <laughs> And then one you just alluded to, emotional first aid, which is obviously yeah. a class you're very equipped to teach. So love all that. But before we get to our uh, talking about the three classes that we're going to talk about, do you want to mm -hmm. kind of just tell the people who aren't familiar with you just kind of like who you are? Totally. Yeah. Um, so I am a switchy, pansexual, polyamorous, trans boy, um, and I love dessert, hence the brulee in my name, but I'm also really, really <laughs> passionate about teaching and education. And I really strive to bring classes that are more unique. So I, I work really hard to like choose things that I don't see a lot of. So I'm trying to like be, be the material you want to see at the cons, right? Um, and I also bring always bring in a switch perspective because I myself am a switch. So I'm normally talking, I talk a lot in my classes about things from the bottom perspective um, and try to make sure all of my classes are actually designed to be t taken from no matter which side of the slash you're on, you can come away from one of my classes with something valuable and something worthwhile. Um, so that's Love a it. little bit about me. I'm, I'm pretty silly. Uh, I, I also have a <laughs> class about playfulness and my favorite uh, kink implement is my T-Rex paddle that says Stompy on it. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if, if, you, if you hit it just right and the person has a light enough complexion, it will show in, in red print? in the shape of the T-Rex. Oh. Chef's and kiss. Chef's when kiss. I discovered that, it was like, I was like the most giggly sadist in the world. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I've got a paddle that's like ever so slightly embossed Lady Pym. And um, like, yeah. it, it's not completely embossed. It's like a wood burning. So it is just like very, very subtle. But um, the first time I hit someone with that and actually saw my name, I was like, oh, this is very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, for sure. I, I love when you can leave a really uh, a really meaningful mark that it's like your trademark. Yeah, and leaving a meaningful mark in their life, you know, that's like yeah. something to aspire to. I love and it. And someone would recognize what it is. <laughs> love it. Love no, it I'm all. not sure what it says about me that I'm like, my trademark is a T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, okay, so <laughs> why though? So uh. what does that mean? <laughs> Oh, man. I love, um, yeah, okay, thank you for introducing yourself. I love all that. I'm also a switch, and I also am a kink educator, and I teach, like, classes that where I talk about both perspectives, both sides of the slash, both yeah. you know, sides of the coin. So I love that, because I'm so into doing that as well. And also, I love that you're a therapist, and you're doing uh, kink and sex education, because to me, like, I'm, I kind of see myself as, like, on this more on the side of like a wellness dom and like mm -hmm. you know wanting to guide people and through experiences and help people along in their journeys and stuff like that so that's very much up my alley as well so i'm so happy to just like even have you as a resource um <laughs> for like wellness domination and how kind of mental and emotional health comes into kink so i'm very yeah, i'm very very absolutely. pleased and excited I, this, is, this is great which one <laughs> 
should we start with, do you think? We're going to do gender play? Do you want to just get right in there with suffering? <laughs> yeah, we, we, can, or, we, can start, we can totally start with suffering. We can That's suffer. We can, it's great to start. I love to start with a bit of suffering myself. So I love Always it. A little, bit of, a little bit of suffering is good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I love how unique these classes are. You mentioned that, of course. And that's something my... Um, when my uh, headmistress is trying to put together classes, you know, she's like, just so you know, I like all your ideas for classes, but she said the same thing to me. She's like, I'm trying to choose ideas that I haven't seen anywhere else. So yeah. she's like, never feel bad if I don't want to pick up one of your classes. She's like, but that's usually the reason. It's like, because I've seen that before enough and you want to offer something new. So I love this. Okay, so suffering. What was the impetus behind making this course? Why, why did you yeah. want to teach a class on suffering? So I felt like a lot of what I was getting out of pain when I was enduring pain was not necessarily what was being taught or what I saw people talking a lot about. And like now, and, and I have some friends who are like, oh my gosh, yes, that's totally exactly what I feel. And then other people who are like, yes, I'm such a masochist and I love this and I love the experience of pain and everything about it feels good for me. Yeah. And I was like, that doesn't quite feel right. Like I, I, and I do a lot of pain play, but the pain wasn't exactly like what was doing it for me. So I would have these tops who would see me play and be like, oh, well, you're you're too much of a masochist I don't think that I could like play with you and I'm like well if it's not fun for you to do I don't really get off from the pain either so like just because you're hurting me with something doesn't mean that I am into that yeah Um, and so like it's I started really thinking about like what was behind this kink for me and, and why why did I play with so much pain for certain people that the other people could try to give me pain in a similar way. And I wasn't, I wasn't getting anything from that. And it was actually just really displeasurable. I don't know. That's a word. Displeasurable. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> right. Uh, so, but so then I was, uh, I was talking to one of the partners that I had, who was a big sadist. And, you know, I, I, cause I was joking around with him. I was like, you know, remember when we met and I said, I wasn't a masochist. And he was like, yeah, totally. Um, and we were like kind of talking about that. And it, it really just came up. He was like, well, me, it, I think it's like you hadn't found someone that you wanted to suffer for. And I was like, huh, hmm. let me think about that. Um, and so then I really spent some time and I realized that like what was doing it for me. Um, and this kind of goes beyond pain for me. And it's a lot of what drives some of my submission too. Is like what really does it for me is for me to not enjoy something, but it really pleased the other person. Mm-hmm. So it oh, I vibe doesn't, so it doesn't matter hard. if it's a really, a really weird, it doesn't matter if it's a really painful um, stimulation or if it's like, I hate folding laundry, but it's really going <laughs> to, it's really going to do it for you if I do that for, for you. Um, and so I realized what I really enjoyed was people enjoying that I was not enjoying something. <laughs> Um, and so I kind of, I kind of settled and that being amusing for them, like the amusing part and the thing that was giving them pleasure was that I didn't like it. Um, and that is a much more drawn out way to say that my fetish is suffering, uh, (laughs) in that it's most arousing for me if I have to do something that I don't like and you like that I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh Yeah. 
I mean, this is really speaking to me. <laughs> yeah, Both as a top and a, and a bottom, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot, and, and it kind of connected for me, like, ooh, that that kind of plays into a lot of the really degrading things I like co- yeah. come down to really liking that that person doesn't care that I'm uncomfortable being drenched in their piss, right? Like, mm-hmm. like they don't care. This is what they want to do. They want to do this thing to me, and I'm going to deal with it because they want me to. Yeah. Um, and so that that was I was like, huh, it, it really like best encapsulates like all of the things the, the biggest things that I generally play with in kink, some of my biggest things, which are degradation and I was playing with a lot of pain and degradation. So I was like, huh, that kind of ties all of it together in this neat little bow as I just want to suffer for you. And if the person doesn't enjoy it, if I don't feel that energy and connection from them and I don't have them loving that this is happening, I don't enjoy any of those activities. Mm-hmm. Is it related at all to, like, the idea of, like, I want to suffer for you? Is yes. the you, Does the you also have to be somebody that you're, like, connected with in a special way? Like, it can't just be any sadist, any old sadist, can it? Yeah. Or, um, or can it? <laughs> I, I, I think that, was, that might vary for, for other people. I know, for me, I can suffer the most for people that I have a... a a much more special connection with. So like when I'm suffering for my maestro, I'm going to tolerate a lot more than some person that I just met who wanted to, to give it a go. And, but they'll still be like, I can still get a little bit out of that if I can kind of like sense and experience their joy. But I think the closer and more connected I am with a person, the more that I can sort of push myself into that space. Like the, the better our connection, the more my desire to offer you suffering is. Mm-hmm. In that way, do you see it as an act of service? Like, is it in that realm for your brain? So I definitely think sometimes it can be kind of service. And a lot of the ways when I'm getting the deepest into my suffering kink, it's definitely for service. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes there is just an element of like, this person, like, it's hot that you like that I'm crying right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can cry the longest and tolerate the most for someone who I'm doing this for as a service because I love them dearly and want to serve them. Um, yeah. So it's kind of an extra thing that could be there, could yeah. not be there. Yeah. With it yeah, for you. I think it can deepen the play for me. For sure. And I need to, I mean, I can't go forward without mentioning Maestro. That is fucking brilliant. <laughs> yes. That's, that is such an amazing honorific. Can you tell me a bit about that just real quick? So I, I, I would uh, probably not be able to, I, I don't know where Maestro Stefanos came up with his name um, or, or why exactly he selected that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we started our DS dynamic, that was a title that he had already been using with past partners and his wife. And, you know, we had just started talking about DS things. And I was like, oh, I'm having all these DS feelings. And like, what title would you like? And he's like, well, people that are doing DS things with me typically call me Maestro. Um, and so... Oh. That was that. I didn't have any say over it, but I certainly enjoy it. Yeah. How does it feel for you? What 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 does it like? You know, arouse in you to say maestro? Um. So it, honestly, it just makes me feel really, really connected with him, um, and it it just feels very special for me because um, I have never had another person that I called that, which I think also kind of amplifies the how good that can feel sometimes because it's like this your own little special thing that you have for just this person um but so it's it's really just I I feel connected to him I don't necessarily 
it's hard for me to separate the word from him. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's sweet. Aww. Yeah. So I love this idea that you're talking about, like, you're talking about suffering, but you're not necessarily talking about like masochism like just experiencing yeah enjoying the experience of the stimulation of pain just kind of on its own you're talking about this like yeah more kind of layered experience yeah I'm t- I, yeah definitely so I'm talking more about enjoying having having it ignored that you don't like this thing <laughs> and that could that could be pain that could be you don't like to be cold and you're in a cold shower Oh my that gosh, could yeah. be you have to stand in a corner that like it, it could it doesn't necessarily have to be linked to a pain sensation for me it's it's literally the fact that I genuinely don't like this thing and you mm-hmm. like that I don't like it and so it turns me <laughs> on that you are enjoying that my, my, that my sort of interest in this activity is irrelevant to your amusement and pleasure Yes, love that. Yeah. And for people who aren't like, people who are more like kink 101ers rather than like, you know, a kink 102 conversation. Yeah. These are things that are obviously within your limits. Yes. These things that you don't enjoy doing. So it's like, don't enjoy, but where is the line between don't enjoy and like, absolutely don't enjoy it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So I, I call this list of things my not knows. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. And uh, I, I also think it's important to point out that what is on my not no list varies <laughs> no. a lot depending on the person. Right. Ah, so like yes. yeah, that yeah, not yeah, no yeah. list is going to be shorter for Maestro who we've been in a relationship with for a while than it will be for someone I just met. And depending on our connection and our relationship, the amount that I'd be willing to sort of endure being uncomfortable mm-hmm. dramatically changes. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 for sure there are things that there are things that I don't have any sort of I obviously have hard limits or things that would always be a no I'm never gonna do those things and then I think of these kind of as under that so these are things that I don't really I don't particularly like doing I wouldn't choose to do them on my own but also the thought of doing it isn't going to like break me inside in a not fun way Mm-hmm. So, like, I would prefer not to, but it, it won't harm me um, emotionally or physically to, to do them. I just don't particularly like them. So this could be something like, I don't particularly like receiving oral sex. It mm-hmm. makes me very, very uncomfortable. But if my partner really wanted me to endure that for them, that would be something that would be a, a not no. Great. Or, Love it. I don't like being pissed on. But I would tolerate that it would be it could be on my it would be on my not no list. I'd be willing to have you push that. So mm-hmm. when you're kind of making if, if you want to explore this, you kind of have to think about what are things that you would be willing to be pushed to do. You don't have you, you, you're not necessarily going to choose something that you jump up and raise your hand and say, yes, 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 definitely. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe as, as with me, sometimes it's like definitely for like five strikes and then no. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not no, but mm. yeah, no, not no. Yes, like, <laughs> beyond five strikes. Not no, not no. But mm, do we have to? <laughs> but how much do I like you? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but so 
it's it's absolutely this kind of play is absolutely not an excuse for someone to push beyond your limits Mm -hmm. or for you to feel pressured like you have to give something that would never be okay so i absolutely still have hard lines that i'm never going to cross and then there are some of these that are a little more flexible that depending on how much i like you i'd be willing to do more Mm-hmm. <laughs> depending on how much i like you i love it so can you it's give true. an example just from i realize this is like just you and it's very subjective mm-hmm. from person to person but can you give it, um, us an example of like what maybe a casual part a, a not know with a casual partner might be for you versus a not know with a maybe more long-term partner might be yeah okay Let's see, a not no with someone more casual would be like stingy implements. I don't, I don't particularly like them, um, but I like like an evil stick. That would be a not no with a casual partner. They really just annoy me. I don't particularly like the sensation. You'll get a lot of like, fuck yous out of me. (laughs) Yeah, Um, a lot of bratting. (laughs) A whole lot of brat, yeah. (laughs) Suddenly we see a whole new side of part of relay. yeah. And then something that would be like a not no with like a a more a partner that I have a more of a connection with would be something like like stun guns. I had a really bad experience with a stun gun, and it's one of like my really really big fears now. And so, okay. but like it, it it would be a not no for like my maestro, yeah. but not for pretty much most other people. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, very interesting. As far as your suffering class that you teach, what is, I want to say, like, what is the most important takeaway from your class? Yeah, so I think I'll give maybe two. (laughs) One is that I, I think there are a lot of different ways to suffer and that you should try to remove it from physical pain if you want to explore a wealth of other possibilities. Mm -hmm. So think about those things that make you a little uncomfortable, a little embarrassed. It doesn't necessarily have to hurt. And then I think my other big takeaway is that this is something that can really complicate negotiations and you want to be really careful (laughs) if you're going to tell people, right, that you have these things that you don't really want to do, but they could push you into doing them. Um, I I really talk about bottoms being, um, I'm big on bottoming skills. So I think people who want to bottom for this have to think really critically about what are the things that are on your not no list and where is that line going to be for you? So at what point is it going to become no longer fun that you don't like it and you really can't do it anymore? Yeah. And talking that through with your partner, um, especially like when you're talking about pushing the boundaries. So like, how, do, how are you going to know when you're done? So is it going to be you're going to go to safe word or they're responsible for ending it and you're going to endure it until they're ready to stop and in that regards i would advise that you really that be someone that you really trust a lot yeah, right that puts a lot um, of trust and onus on the top yeah yes but but I'm, I'm also you. not going to tell anyone that they could never do that right of um course. so who or is it just going to be you know like you're going to go until a yellow you're going to go until a red you're going to go until they're bored um and really kind of thinking about who who's whose onus it's going to be on for that to be over and like figure out where the line is yeah got you yeah i like that you're big on teaching bottoming skills bottoming skills because yeah i feel like that isn't 
the focus in a lot of classes. And I feel like, I don't know if this is maybe just what I've seen kind of my area or people I kind of am, you know, kind of related to in my circles. But a lot of bottoms are just, um, they're kind of just trying to figure it out and they're kind of putting trust in the tops usually to have more experience and to kind of guide them through maybe scenes or maybe just kink in general. Maybe they're new to kink in general and they kind of put the onus and responsibility on the top to kind of do the work rather than focusing on developing bottoming skills. Yeah. And so a big thing about what I'm teaching in the class is that there's a big onus on the bottom in this kind of play to, to really be able to communicate where your lines and where your limits are. And if you can't do that well, then this would be something that you should probably pause on um, because you don't, you don't want to, get there accidentally and then be pushed too far and then be wondering if your partner violated your boundaries or if they weren't clearly expressed or it could be a combination of both and then you guys have to figure out what you're going to do about your relationship going forward a complicated topic it it can be complicated yes Yes. i think that it, it, it it certainly requires that you know bottoms are kind of doing their homework and and doing a lot of thinking about themselves and what their lines are before they try to start playing with a partner in this way. So it can it's it's fun. It's all well and good to say, "Oh yes, it's hot if you keep going even when I don't want you to." But you have to figure out how are you going to know when they really need to stop? How are you going to be able to communicate that with them to them? Are you yeah. going to be able to communicate that with, to them in the moment? Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so I feel like the the question is going to be on like listeners' minds is going to be like, well, how do I find that out? How do I know that for myself? How do I learn that about myself so that I can pass that information on? So one thing that I have explored with partners is having, um, and again, this kind of requires you feel confident in using a safe word. um, And there are a lot of different ways that you can do this, whether it's a hand signal, whether it's something that you drop, whether it's you stop responding, and that means that they have to check in with you. Um, but we would have a word where I would tell my partner and this particular, it was mercy. So I would say mercy. Mm-hmm. And that was even before people who are familiar with the stoplight sign. So it would be like green, mercy, yellow, yellow and red. red. And yellow is like, you have to stop whatever activity, you, like this thing you're doing is not okay. I don't want to stop the scene, but I need to stop whatever you're hurting me with or whatever I'm in. And yeah. red was like, we're absolutely totally done. Yes. Yellow or mercy was... I am pretty sure that I'm really close to my limit with this, but I'm willing to let you push me a little bit further. Okay. And um, and you can just, dis- so a mercy would be, they can decide if they're going to give me another one or another two, right? Versus a yellow would be, no, we're done with this thing. So, so then I would kind of be able to sort of push it out and see how far it would be. And sometimes it would be, when I first started this, it would be me curled up in a little ball just saying, mercy, 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 over and over again. And he would say, do you mean yellow? Yeah, it seems like you mean yellow. <laughs> You're in a and, ball. And sometimes I would say yellow, but sometimes I would think about it and then say, mercy. Yeah, I can take two more. Yeah, Maestro. Um, <laughs> uh, and so... Uh, I think there there is a little bit like there is a little bit you you have to jump in but I would say 
start slow. So you can start with, if you think that, you know, you typically realize that you start struggling at five, then do five and then go slow. Do one at a time and see how you feel and process, talk it through with your partner, communicate with how that feels, what you're thinking, if you think you could do another one yeah. and and sort of check in a lot more often in a scene than you normally would when you're first starting out. Yeah, I love that advice. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, I have a friend that typically says like t t t t like time out like mm-hmm. so he makes the t sign with his hand and he's like t t t t t that's like time out but that's essentially like that intermediate word you know if you're exactly yeah and you could yeah. make it whatever word that you want or of whatever course. symbol that you want or you know if it's easier for them to say give me a number and if you don't do anything then that means that you're done yeah whatever whatever it is um but figuring out sort of a way for you to communicate that you're close to a line, um, I think is the best way to start kind of figuring out where your boundaries are. Let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, Oasis Aqua Lounge is a water-themed sex club located right here in Toronto at 231 Mutual Street. Oasis is inclusive of all genders and orientations and is shame-free when it comes to pleasure and play. Check them out at their website, oasisaqualounge.com. Unicorn Collaborators is the local leather business of two queer unicorns. They specialize in luxurious and colorful harnesses for all body types, and even craft non-conventional ones for your thigh, fist, or foot. Check them out at their Etsy shop under Unicorn Collaborators. Lovecrafters Toys is a non-gendered fantasy sex toy line that makes weird and wonderful dildos in the shape of tentacles, unicorn horns, mermaid tails, and more. Their high-quality silicone is hand-poured right here in Toronto. Check out their Etsy shop at Lovecrafters Toys. ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at comeasyouare.com. Um, shall we move on to gender play? Yeah. So this is very exciting. How you just explained it to me was the type of play that people most are familiar with is like sissification. Yeah. And you're like, oh, but there is so there are so many more th- things to do as far as gender goes. So let's yes. tell us all about it. I love this. Yes. So for starters, <laughs> um, my favorite thing about this class is probably that I called it fucking with gender. And I thought I was being so clever because it's both <laughs> about sex and also we're fucking with people's gender roles. <laughs> and I was like, double yeah. meaning. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. I was like, look at how cool I am with my double meaning <laughs> class titles. <laughs> Um, but so typically I start this class by asking people like what gender play means to them and everyone, the first thing everybody thinks of is sissification, which I think is lovely, but I define gender play really broadly. So when I'm defining it, I'm sort of saying that gender play is when you purposefully manipulate something about someone's gender expression in your scene. 
Mm. Um, and I really differentiate here between gender identity and gender expression. So gender identity is like that core sense of what your gender is and who you are as a person. And gender expression is how you're kind of put the symbols that we're putting on on the outside to communicate our gender into the world. And so when we're fucking around with gender in a scene, we're, we're pretty much never actually manipulating someone's gender identity in that moment. Mm. Um, but what we're hoping to do is change something about their expression to get them to feel a new experience. So I, I'm trying to get to something that's going to be purposefully utilizing something gendered to create a feeling that's outside of the person's sort of typical experience with, with their gender and their expression. Does that kind of, I think, does that make sense to start? I think so. Yeah. And okay, so cool. we can do this for all sorts of reasons. Why maybe we can talk about the reasons people might want to manipulate their, like, fuck with their gender that is like, <laughs> in a scene. That's like, no, that's like the most perfect question that you could have asked because that <gasps> literally goes into exactly what the next part of what I was going to talk oh, about yay was. for me. <laughs> we didn't even plan that. Um, yeah, so I think about it as, like, categories, essentially. So I, I'm thinking that a lot of the, the things that we're trying to do and the reasons we might want to mess around with someone's gender expression, we could do it to humiliate them and make mm -hmm. them feel embarrassed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where sissification comes in for a lot of people. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt when I talk about this, but I think it's, a, it's important to think about why you think this exact thing is embarrassing. Yes. And if it's because you view women in feminine roles as weak and inferior or in some way, you might want to think through like your assumptions and your motives. That's, that's the disclaimer I'll give on that. Um, but I also, I think there are other reasons that people sometimes like to be humiliated about this too. So I think that if you take something that had been used to hurt you in the past mm -hmm. and you make that empowering and part of your sexuality and something that you do that feels good for you, I think that can, but it can still be embarrassing, right? If you grew up your whole life being called a sissy and now you can kind of take this back and find that experience and create that and sort of turn it up for a fun, sexy feeling, I think that's awesome. I also think it can just be embarrassing to have to be in a new and different and uncomfortable role outside of your normal role. And you can, most of us get pretty attached to our sense of who we are and what that means about us. And the stripping that away from a person and making them present in a way that feels totally foreign to them yes. can feel really degrading and embarrassing. You've removed all of these things that they use to tell you who they are and made them completely different because you want to. Because <laughs> uh, it's fun for them. Because yes. yeah, be, yeah, because it's fun for you, because it's fun <laughs> for them, right? To be to have that all taken away from them. And I think that those are some other ways to sort of frame the humiliation and embarrassment that can come from this. Yeah, like for instance, like I'm a cis female, but to do for me to do like feminization, where, mm -hmm. say if I was to be dressed up in like the girliest shit. I would feel some kind of way like I would yeah, feel off kilter because exactly. that's not how I present my femininity usually yes. like I like a harder edge and I like to you know be a bit of a tomboy I don't really like to present like pretty like that's not what yeah. I typically do so that would make me feel kind of like off kilter off put 
to be put in some frilly shit, for instance, you know? Exactly. So I, I like to think about it as you don't even have to take a person's expression. You don't even have to move it outside of the realm of what would be quote unquote, you can't see me doing quotes, but quote unquote, Mm -hmm. typical for their gender. Um, Big caveat that we can all recognize that gender roles and norms exist, that they are stupid and socially constructed, and also that they are things that we really know that we can manipulate and fuck around with. Agreed. (laughs) But just because everyone who might be listening might not know, I I, that that is my take on this. Great. Um, so you can take someone who just like you're talking about her where maybe you don't dress or sort of present sort of super super extraordinarily feminine and forcing you to change the way you're expressing your gender mm-hmm. even though it's still on like what would be a spectrum of femininity mm-hmm. could still feel really really uncomfortable um and the first time i got to teach this class someone came up to me at the end of the event um and i did get their permission to share this in future classes um and they said you know i you talked about moving on like a scale of femininity and i hadn't thought about that before but then i went off and i did a scene with someone who like made me get really high femme and then mocked me because i didn't know how to exfoliate properly so i wasn't like a real femme and i was like this is this is perfect this is, and she was like and it was great it was so amazing it was such a fun scene and so you don't even necessarily have to be going sort of across or into a different totally different um gendered presentation it could still be within like what would be a spectrum of femininity or masculinity Certainly. even so what is some other way what are some other things we can kind of experience through gender play other than like humiliation yeah so i also think of gender play as a really great tool for exploration especially for people who might be having gender feelings and not having a good space to sort of explore them when i first started questioning my gender the first time i ever got to put on being a boy and see how that felt was during play when my partner was like okay let's explore this we'll have you have this dildo and that'll be like a packer and i'll call you my good boy and i'll tell you how good of a boy you're being and i'll fuck you like a dirty little boy right and like that was like my first light bulb moment of getting to try on and experience a new sort of role um but even if you don't necessarily keep the role forever Mm -hmm. Um, or you, you explore it and you're like, oh, that wasn't really for me. It can provide a really safe, fun place for people to explore. Um, and it can just be fun. So one of my partners, uh, his girlfriend had been working on, um, aerial hoops and had gotten like really, really had gotten like pretty buff. He like walked up behind her one day and like put a hat and was like, mm, "You're gonna be my good boy." And like they had this whole thing where they're like, they're like, "That's fun." And then she's like, "I'm really comfortable in my gender identity and like we can play with this." But like, and they just like played with that role for a day um, because it was fun because it was fun to explore and try something else on for a little bit. I love that. Yeah, and it can yeah. be a sometimes thing. You know, it can be yeah. something that is specifically just reserved for your kink scenes, for instance, it doesn't necessarily mean that your regular gender presentation is going to change. Exactly. Um, Like it's just, it can be just a fun thing to do in a kink scene. Yep. And it can also be really affirming. So that's kind of like my next category. Great. Gender play as affirmation, right? So especially with sort of trans and uh, non-binary and gender diverse partners, they might have 
very little time when they get to sort of feel like they are being authentically in their gender. So uh, my partner is non-binary, uh, but is tall and bearded and has a really deep voice. And so that comes off to people as masculine, always. Like he doesn't get to be gendered feminine typically. And so a big part of affirmation of my partner's identity is when we play with gender and they can be as feminine as they want and they like to turn that part of themselves up and be my dirty little girl and my slutty little whore and that's like and I play with their clit and finger their pussy and that's really really validating um and so it can yeah it can be space to really affirm partners um and you can play with toys and dildos in really fun ways and change the way you're talking about people's bodies, even changing the way you're touching their body that can feel more feminine or more in line, sorry, that can feel more affirming and more in line with sort of the, the presentation or expression they want to be affirmed in, in the moment. Yeah. Love that. Because I mean, you and I, um, I feel like we're fairly open with like our kinks and, yeah. you know, our sexuality and our orientation and whatnot and our gender and whatnot. But a lot of people that that isn't the case. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. They've got to live, you know, their their daily life in one way and they've they can't really be openly expressing, you know, for instance, their gender. Uh, yeah. So that can be a, a safe place you know, for, for them to do that. So I love that you brought that up. Was it another thing that you there wanted is, to bring up along? There is one more thing. Love. <laughs> um, and this, love. this, I have my big like content warning. Okay. <laughs> um, but there is a content warning about gender dysphoria. Uh, Great. So for some people who experience gender dysphoria, they might want to play with that in a kink scene and experience that and create that on purpose. My big caveat on this is if you are a cisgender person, you should not bring this up with your partner unless they bring it up with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you're always going to want to be it's like similar to how I feel about race play, right? If you're white, you shouldn't be seeking out mm-hmm. people of color to do race play with them. Um, same thing. If you're cis, you shouldn't be seeking out trans people to play with their gender dysphoria and call them by the wrong pronouns on purpose, right? Yes, of course. But and so this can be edge play for a lot of people. So it's always something you're going to want to be careful about. You're going to want to negotiate really carefully. You're going to want to start small before you like dive into like forcing them to totally to use their dead name and use incorrect pronouns and dre- make them dress super super high femme if they're a transmasculine person, right? You're going to you're going to go slow. But there are trans people who can find it satisfying to you dis- to utilize dysphoric feelings in a scene. It can feel like maybe you do a scene where you're being sort of teased and misgendered and at the end you get to switch and beat up that person and yes. you've never gotten to do that in real life, right? Yeah. So it can be a way to sort of take that back to have a different reaction to something that happens to you in the real world all the time. Um, if you're maybe like me and you're just like this dirty fucking slut who has like the biggest <laughs> degradation fetish. So I'm like, well, it already feels, I already like to feel disrespected and degraded <laughs> by you. So you might as well take this thing that I already know works really well to give me all these feelings and like make it sexy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But but for some people it might it might not it might be less sexy and more a way to experience catharsis or release 
being able to sort of control everything about how that happens, right? So like, I can't control what happens if I get misgendered in the real world. Yes. But if I, I can with my partner say, all right, these are the explicit ways that I am consenting for you. These are the types of dysphoria that I'm consenting for you to fuck with right now, right? But like, you still have to call my, you still have to call it my cunt and you still have to call me a boy, but like, you can say I look pretty or mm -hmm. make me wear these panties, right? So like, it's... Um, it can be a way to sort of set really clear boundaries around when the, when this feeling is happening. You know, you can always stop it. Um, I highly recommend that you only do this with someone that you really, really trust, sees um, your identity, and um, really knows who you are. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't do this with a new partner. I can't control the decisions you make in your life. Um, <laughs> But yeah. it can, it, yes, it can. <laughs> I will control the world at some point. Yes, but it, it can be a really positive experience for some trans people. But you should like anything. You should never assume every trans person wants to play this way. Yep. For many trans people, that would be a horribly, awfully triggering thing to even suggest. So, gotcha. That's my big proceed with caution. But I know that there are trans people who play with it, and it's not just me. <laughs> okay, yeah, great. <laughs> I'm not the weird one, I swear. Um, no, I love that you're talking about this, especially since you are a trained therapist and you're talking about things like, essentially like trauma reenactment in kink scenes. Obviously, there are a lot of huge triggers, potentially, um, mm -hmm. people that are trained, you know, hopefully you know the people engaging in this know a bit about like trauma response and yes I, I think this is a really good way to kind of segue into our last topic actually <laughs> yeah. that any type of play where you're kind of bringing up past traumatic events would be great to have a little bit of emotional first aid under your belt don't you think <laughs> I think most people could benefit from emotional first aid, whether they're gonna be Honestly. playing or not. Um, Honestly. And I, I actually think it's a class that, it's something in general that skills that people can utilize, even if they're not purposely trying to go after something dark and scary. Um, right. Maybe they are, but I don't know about you, I've certainly found triggers in scenes that I did not know were there. Yeah. Uh, yes, so I exactly. think it can... I think the the most notable one for me was when I discovered that you could you could hurt me, but you couldn't hurt me because you were punishing me because that just broke <gasps> same. me. Same. Oh my god. I'm like, same. I'm like, <gasps> and like it was like fun and sexy and like I hadn't I, I hadn't even done anything and it was like you've been so bad. I'm gonna punish you. And all of a sudden I was just like I was just like crying after like one hit. I'm like, what is happening? And it was not fun. And I was like, yeah, you can't. That's not that's not how I play. So like it's actually now very explicit in my bio where I'm like, mm -hmm. like when I talk about playing, I'm like I am don't do punishment. Hurt me because it will make you happy and please you, and I will be a good boy if I do it. Yes, totally. If I can't, yeah, a hard limit, like an honest to goodness hard limit of mine is to be called bad in a scene, like bad girl, yeah. like I did something wrong. And I'm exactly. bad. That is the hardest of limits for me. So I fucking feel you on that. <laughs> oh, so hard. But like, I didn't know to negotiate that with my top, right? When I was little 18 year old. Exactly. New to the scene, gonna play. And he thought he was being, you know, fun and role playing. And then I was just like a pile of sad. <laughs> so I think, I think it's helpful to just know a little bit about like what to do. <laughs> 
Yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so, <laughs> so where do we start with this then? Yes. Okay. So, obviously, this class is meant to be taught in an hour and a half, and we're going to talk about it in like twenty minutes. So, I'm going to yeah. give like the the really brief little tidbits. So, the first thing is, for, at to the extent that you can, mm-hmm. as a bottom, you should have done some reflections about what some of the things that are possible to trigger you are. So, the first thing is to try to be cr- proactive, and not um, try to be proactive and so if you're purposely going to go after a trigger really communicating that with the top really having everyone be on the page of okay we're doing something that might trigger something on purpose but also if you're not trying to go there avoiding those areas very broadly so if you for sure know you're not trying to go there to like sad terror trauma place um being able to communicate what those triggers are so your top knows so much like we were talking about now i tell anyone that i'm gonna play with they can't call me bad they can't be punishing me that that won't be fun for me um Mm -hmm. they'll break me (laughs) um and they don't want to break their things exactly yeah well sometimes break our toys yeah (laughs) not in non-consensual ways that's what i'll say yeah (laughs) but so being able to think about what are your triggers and i use trigger to mean something that you are going to be highly reactive to. So something that's going to cause a sort of big reaction for you. If you know about it, try to avoid it unless you're directly targeting it and then be really honest about like, what are the things that kind of make that really strong trigger for you? What are the sort of things that might be like trigger light? So if, if it's, you know, you want to being sort of held down and immobilized is really, really, hard for you then maybe you're not going to do a full body vacuum bed but like one hand holding down one limb could still be a lighter version of that yeah so kind of figuring out how to sort of turn the volume up and down on what that trigger is to the extent that you can if you're a top these are things that you should be including in your negotiation so yes your bottoms should be thinking about these things and talking about these things with you but you should also be thinking about asking them about them yeah. Because if they haven't thought about it, now you have presented with them, hey, look, there's still this work you need to do before we can really play. So that's a little bit about triggers and negotiation. So then I try to give people some very basic skills. And I actually have, and then I give a handout at the end of the class, which goes through like how you create a plan. Because my biggest piece of advice is also to have a, oh shit, everything went wrong plan. Even mm-hmm. if you don't necessarily think that you're going to find a trigger, asking, okay, if something goes really wrong in this scene and you end up feeling, you know, a way that we didn't anticipate, what are we going to do after? What are some of the things that will make you feel good? Who are the people that can support you if you don't want to be around me? So I highly recommend to have a plan. I carry a bottoming bag where I keep my, my like snacks that I know make me feel better. And I have a little aftercare friend and a blanket. Um, so oh, I, I, I try to care friend. Do you mean like yeah. a stuffy? A stuffy, yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> but I, I, I have a I have a rotating cast of characters, so <laughs> it's not always the same one. So my aftercare friend. Oh, I love it. You um, are my kind of guy. Like you should see you should see my condo. Honestly, it's just all stuffed animals. It's crazy how many. Yeah. yeah. And how big some of them are. I got my fiance like into it. He didn't have like any when we met. And then I had like one and we have slowly accumulated (laughs) our our friends. And now he'll buy them for me. We call them our friends too. Yeah, they're they're our friends. 
They have names. They live in Boyfly Manor and are part of the Gamily, the gay family. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So now you you know about how stupidly cute me and my partner are. Great. <laughs> so, so in my bottoming bag, I keep things that I know are part of like my plan. If something goes really wrong and I need you know support, comfort, what's going to help me come down after that? Then there are some like very basic skills that you can have. So learning what the signs of panic and dissociation are. I don't think I have time to like go through all of them, but you can you can pretty easily look these things up on the internet. What what are the signs of a panic attack? What does dissociation look like? Yeah. Because those are things that you're going to want to be able to sort of recognize and check in about with your partner. If your partner starts having a panic attack, like you're going to have to do something about that. Yes. Um, and here are some very basic things that I recommend you do <laughs> in that situation. Great. Um, so I have four things. That seems to just be my number recently. Um, but the first thing is comfort. So be as calm as you possibly can practice a lot of empathy and active listening so this isn't the time to be like oh yes this happened to me once this is what i did <laughs> you're gonna be doing a lot of wow it seems like you're really upset oh wow yeah i can tell that that's really hard like what can i do for you versus you know so be empathetic show them that you're listening avoid making judgments and criticizing so don't this isn't the time to be like wow i'm so disappointed you only took 20 of these but i wanted to do 50. can you, you can have that conversation at some point but <laughs> while they're in the midst no, of their not the time. Like, triggered situation it's not the time um and try to use a call a calm soft voice mm -hmm. so be a comforting presence then the second one to think about is safety. So you want to make sure that you get that person to a safe space. So quite literally, right? Your person could be in a dangerous bondage situation. You could have been waterboarding them. You could have a knife. You could have fire. Like they could have an IV in because you're doing blood play. So like you, you want to as quickly as you can and as calmly as you can remove them from any potential danger that they're in. Maybe they're on a table and now they're having a panic attack. So they're dizzy and you're going to need to help them come down so you can make sure they don't like fall off of a table maybe yeah. they're on a cross it's like whatever it is you want to make sure that they are in you can get them to a safe location where they're away from anything that was potentially dangerous in your scene and that they aren't going to hurt themselves so you don't want them you don't want to like leave them standing up if they're feeling lightheaded and dizzy for them to fall or trip if they're really cold then you're going to want to try to warm them up a little if they're really hot you're going to try to cool them down people might have an elevated heart rate at this point which is going to increase all of the symptoms of panic so we want to try to get them to a safe calm place that's going to help bring them down um, and if they want if they need it and if they're comfortable with it it's best if you can get them somewhere comfortable and private um, so maybe an aftercare corner a bed somewhere where they can kind of take a breath and then a big part of this is going to be normalizing. So we have, we're going to be comforting, we're going to get them to safety, and we're going to normalize the experience because a big thing that starts happening when you're panicking and dissociating is then you start in this anxious thought spiral yeah. where you're like, oh my God, so maybe they only took 20, but they were sort of in a hard suspense hard suspension and they got dizzy and they had to come down and now they're like oh my god i'm the worst rope bottom ever because mm -hmm. i had to come down or i couldn't take enough and so this is when you're going to be 
reassuring. Like, this is normal. Sometimes we find things that we don't expect. Or why can I only be drowned for three seconds? Or why can I only let you call me ugly once? Like, whatever it is. Like, it's normal. Sometimes we find things that we didn't know were there. Or it was harder than we thought. Or your mood just isn't quite right. So we're, we're just going to normalize that this stuff happens. It's okay. We're not mad that they didn't finish the scene. Because the more negative thought spirals that they have, the worse and worse they're going to sort of end up spiraling themselves up. And then the more that they spiral, the more it can increase a lot of these like panic symptoms like not being able to breathe, feeling dizzy, feeling lightheaded, heart rate, so all of that stuff. So we want to try to bring them out of that spiral and normalize those those thoughts and that experience. Like everybody has times where they just flip out. It doesn't, yep. it's okay. Yep. Everything is, you're, it's okay. This is normal. And then the last part is to have a plan. And this is where I, I actually have a worksheet that like is how to make a plan. But the person's probably feeling overwhelmed. They might have stuff to do, right? So maybe they have this and you're like, okay, well, you're at a con. So the night's like over now. So you're going to help them shower. You're going to give them a snack. You're going to cuddle them. You're going to go to bed. Like you're going to make a plan for what they're going to do next. Because they're likely now feeling overwhelmed. They may be feeling really guilty. They might need a little bit of help and assistance sort of getting to what they're doing next, right? So maybe you're at a dungeon and it's okay. How are you going to get home? Who's going to drive them? When they get home, are you going to stay with them? Do they have a partner? What can they do at home to sort of help them calm down? So that you're not just like, okay, cool. I got you down from the bondage. I gave you a hug. I said it was okay. And now you're like walking away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so from there, you're <laughs> going to plan, all right, what are they going to do for the next however long that they need to sort of take care of themselves? So this could be a really simple like checklist, right? So like, all right, I need to take a, sh I need to have a snack, take a shower, go to bed. Or, you know, my, my partner's going to drive me home. We're going to watch a movie like a, a simple concrete plan to sort of help help them calm any of the like uncertainty that might be happening and the like, oh my God, what's happening to my body? Oh my God, what's happening with me? Yeah, so I have a, a sort of, I can maybe send you the, the handout on sort of how to make your own grounding plan with your partner for like how, to think, how to think through. Maybe you could put it on, on the site. I don't know if you have like show notes. Yeah, I put it, I'll put it in like the on my Instagram when I post the episode. I'll like I can post some like visual information for people that they can and some yeah, links that, as that, well. that would yeah. that would be cool. Yeah, awesome. Because then that way they they have a, they can like visualize Great. this up. But the handout has like a bunch of sort of skills you can use in a crisis to sort of help ground a person who is panicking or dissociating, and kind of walks you through like, all right, think about which one of these you might want to try, who you might have to help you, and I actually recommend people like keep a copy of it in their bottoming bag um, i had someone ask me if they could laminate it i was like totally like uh, sure it's, it's yours <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i can send that to you in an email so that you can sort of give yes um, please an extra resource thank you but yeah it's best if you can have a, a a bit of a plan in advance for like what you're what what are the coping skills that really work well for you because every single person has different things that work to help them feel comfortable and safe. And it's going to be really hard for someone to guess what those might be for you in the moment if they Definitely. don't know you super well. Um, so it's helpful if you sort of think about this in advance for like, what are the things that are going to help you come down after? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It, because I mean, something even that's not like an emergency thing, but like something just like aftercare, 
even something like that looks so different from person to person, you know, it can be completely subjective. So, um, just makes sense that, you know, when something goes wrong, that is also very unique to uh, the individual. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That is so lovely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing all the resources surrounding that and sharing it with people. But I think that gives like a good idea of like, the beginning of the types of conversations we need to be having surrounding like, uh, when something goes wrong in a scene like that, like panic or um, dysphoria. Or what have you? So yes, my, with my yeah, my very clear. This is like twenty minutes of what yeah, I can normally yeah. talk about for an hour and yeah, a half. <laughs> totally, and I appreciate you for doing that. Like because you basically gave me two topics for this episode, but then you like brought up like emotional first aid, and I was like, ooh, but I really want you to cover that too. So I I understand that I kind of forced you into talking about no, no, that no, no, in a really fine. short amount of time. So I appreciate. <laughs> But um, are you able to tell people um, about, you know, when you have classes happening in the future, (laughs) where they can find you, follow you, get like more information about these things we talked about and so much more? Yeah, so I don't have a ton of information on where you can find me in the future right now, because for a variety of privacy related reasons, I don't teach Zoom classes, which has made it hard for me to teach right now. But whenever events maybe happen again. Yep. Uh, I keep a pretty good schedule on my Twitter account at Carter Brule on Twitter, okay. where I talk a lot about where I'm going to be. And also you'll hear more ridiculously cute anecdotes about my sex life. Sometimes <laughs> I whine about PhDs. And sometimes I talk about kink. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Um, I, I also have a website, carterbrule.com, um, where I keep up to date on where I'm teaching and what classes I'm currently offering. Great. Um, and you can also find me on FetLife at Carter Brule. So it's all very, it's all the same to be easy for everyone. I'm just Carter Brule everywhere you might want to find me. And if you wanted to email me for whatever reason, you can email me at carterbrule at gmail.com. Love it. Oh, thank you so much. So <laughs> yeah. let me see my stuff. Um, unfortunately, mine's all different. So at the Lady Pim one on Twitter, Pim.Lady on Instagram, the Bedpost Podcast on Instagram, the Bedpost Sex Show on YouTube, Patreon.com slash the Bedpost Show, uh, the Bedpost Sex Show at gmail.com. You can email me, uh, Lady Pim at protonmail.com. You can email me as well. And uh, last but not least, I always like to mention the lovely lady who does all the original music for my podcast. That's Stephanie Copeland. You can find her at stephcopelandmusic.com. One huge thank you to you, Carter. Thank you so much for taking the time to educate us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Oh, my absolute pleasure, honestly. And I think people are just going to absolutely love this episode. So, so I thank hope you so. so much. Yeah, <laughs> they will. They most certainly will. And awesome. uh, thank you to everybody who's been listening today. We'll catch you next week with another fun and sexy guest here in the studio talking about sex and sexuality. Until then, get fucked, everybody. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>